There it goes. <laughs> uh, just to give you an update uh, with our Lose to Live group, the guys won this last week. They were just being nice to us, I'm sure. Uh, total, the group has lost uh, a total of 62 and a half pounds uh, in two weeks. So yeah, they're, they're doing great. I'm, I'm really proud of, of uh, that group. Uh, in the mid-90s, well, early 90s, I should say, a ministry was started, maybe you've heard of it, called Promise Keepers. Kind of close by here in Boulder, Coach McCartney kicked it up, and it began to grow at an exponential rate. I mean, just an, an unbelievable rate. Uh, this ministry and its influence among men grew. So in the years following, uh, they began doing events around the nation, Promise Keeper events around the nation. I believe it was 94-ish. Promise Keepers did an event in the Dallas-Fort Worth area. At that time, my brother was a highway patrolman. Uh, before he retired, was a Texas state trooper. And uh, he was asked to lead the security for that event. He accepted, and he called me and said, Joel, would you like to be a part of the security detail for this Promise Keepers event? Sure, it'd be great. So that few days prior to the event, and everything's being set up, uh, I believe it was at North Texas State University. I, I think I remember that correctly. <clears throat> we were there, and I got my badge. Credentials. Security with my name on it. I had access wherever I wanted to go. I mean, I had severe Barney Fifeism going. <laughs> B bad. I thought I was something special because of the badge that I was wearing, these credentials I had around my neck. But let's be honest, uh, I was in my brother's hip pocket wherever he went. And I had access to anywhere I wanted to go, not because of some badge I had around my, my neck. I had access because of who I knew, because of who I was related to. There are some places that if I were not with my brother, they would have probably said, now, why do you need to go in here? And I would have been denied access. It was because of who I knew. I'm going to tell you three stories from the 90s today. So that was the first one. The second one is this. In 1996, some of you are familiar that uh, the school where I was coaching, we played in the state championship. We lost to Austin-Westlake. Uh, Drew Brees uh, had his way with us that day. The next year, our coaching staff was asked to uh, coach the Texas High School All-Star North team. Huge privilege, huge honor. When the time came for, for the players to show up and start practicing for that event, Coach Allen was only able to bring a certain number of coaches to be a part of those that actually coached. I was not one of them. I had to stay at home. The event came, the, the game happened, and after the game, a few weeks later, I received this box. 
pulled it out on the front. It says, Joel Bundick, coach, North football team. Okay. And I received a watch in the mail. Uh, My name on it, the year, North team. I got this watch not because of anything I ever did. I didn't coach one down. I didn't call one play. I I didn't do one practice. I got this watch because of who I was associated with and who I know I knew. Coach Allen. I didn't do anything for this. I haven't worn it once. It is set at 6 o'clock, and it says a 1 in there. I have never worn it. I got this because of who I know. My third story from the 90s, as I walked down memory lane, I was on my way from Abilene to Breckenridge, Texas, one evening, and some of you will remember this, because uh, I had to confess this to the church a few years ago. I was driving, pulling my boat to, on my way to see my brother uh, in Breckenridge, and to get to Breckenridge from Abilene, you have to go through a small little town called Albany. It's about 20 minutes this side of Breckenridge. And as you're approaching Albany, you go down Nine Mile Hill. It was a hill that was nine miles long, and, and so I, I was headed down that hill. I got to the bottom of it, and I look in my mirror, and there is light. I'm being pulled over, so I pull over on the side of the road, and uh, officer comes up, highway patrolman comes up beside the car, asks for license, registration, proof of insurance, please, so I hand him the appropriate paperwork, and Mr. Bundy, do you know why I pulled you over? I don't. I'm not, I, I'm not a speeder. That's not what I do. That's not my thing. Well, your taillight is out. But I see as I walk up here and I look at your paperwork that not only are your license plates out of date, so is your registration. I mean, I have the trifecta. I, I strike one, strike two, strike three. So he recognized my name, my brother being the highway patrolman in the next town. He gets on that cool little, I'm a gadget guy, he gets on that cool little walkie-talkie they have on their shoulder, you know what I'm talking about? And he calls my brother's call number, I don't remember what it is, and he calls him on there. Yeah, I have have a gentleman pulled over here with expired plates, expired registration, and taillight out. Uh, Last name Bundick, first name Joel. Please advise how to proceed. And I hear, come back over the radio, light him up. (laughs) Teach him a lesson. And the officer turns and looks at me to see my face like, all right. So he, he gets his pad out and he continues to write me a warning. Mr. Bundit, get that fixed. Yes, sir. I did not get what I deserved because of, help me out, what I had done. I got what I didn't deserve because of who I knew. You guys can already tell where I'm going today. 
the passage of Scripture that we're looking at today in Philippians. Paul took some time. He kind of did a little side note at the end of chapter 2 to do a little personal uh, relationship cleaning up. But chapter 3 begins with huge, I'm telling you, gigantic theological implications for me and for you. Not only implications with our perspective, our attitudes, but ultimately our lives. That it doesn't matter. Check this out. Listen. It doesn't matter what you've done, good or bad. That's not what matters. What matters is who you know. And I'll go ahead and go to the conclusion. Do you know Jesus today? It matters. There are a lot of people that are convinced that what matters is what they do in order to please God. To be counted as one of his children, it matters what I do. And Paul addresses this huge issue that's going on in the church in that day. Not just a first century issue, it still goes on today. We're going to look at that more. So, with the idea in mind that it is who we know that really matters. It's not what you do or have done, how good or how bad. It's who you know. With that in mind, if you'll stand with me, if you're able, in reading, in honor of reading God's word, chapter 3 of Philippians, verses 1 through 11. God's word says this. Finally, my brothers and sisters, rejoice in the Lord. To, to write the same things to you is of no trouble to me, and, it, and it's safe for you. Look out for the dogs. Look out for the evildoers. Look out for those who mutilate the flesh. For we are the circumcision who worship by the Spirit of God and glory in Christ Jesus and put no confidence in the flesh. Though I myself have reason for confidence in the flesh also. If anyone thinks he has reason for confidence in the flesh, I have more. Circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews. As to the law, a Pharisee. As to zeal, a persecutor of the church. As to righteousness under the law, blameless. Whatever gain I had, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. For his sake, I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ. And be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ. The righteousness from God that depends on faith. That I may, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and may share his suffering, becoming like him in his death. That by any means possible, I may attain the resurrection. Father, on this day, I pray that each of us would be highly alert 
to what you have to say, that each of us would, would look at our own perspective, our own understanding of what, it, what is required to be one of your children, to be counted as one of the family. Be with us now, Lord. Prepare our hearts to hear from you. In your name, amen. Again, Paul is not, not writing to a church who's living in utopia. He is, re, he is writing to a church that is thriving. They're doing well, but he is writing today, our passage today is a warning to them. It is a, hey, heads up, look out, look, look out, look out. He's giving them one of those messages. He's teaching them on that level. Keep your eyes peeled. I know you guys are going through tough times. I know that you have children that are, that are not obeying the way you wish you'd obey, they would obey. I know you guys are having, hey, maybe going through a tough time. You might be experiencing aging parents. You might have siblings that are just being however. You might have coworkers. You might be going through financial issues. Coworkers that are driving you bananas. I know you're not living in perfect circumstances, but here's the deal. In light of these imperfect circumstances, it matters who you know. It matters. Today there's, there's three things about the gospel of Jesus Christ, the three principles that I want us to make sure that we understand. I, I cannot emphasize strongly enough how important this passage is to our citizenship of heaven. To our belonging to God's family. First principle I want us to see is this. The gospel is not Christ plus. Christ and. You remember what he said in, 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 in John chapter 10. I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through wearing the right clothes to church on Sundays. No. Except through me. Listen. It matters who you know. Do you know Jesus today? Do you know him? You're trusting him through whatever you're going through. It matters Here's what's going on. Paul addresses this in Galatians, the letter to the Galatian church. He addresses the same thing in Acts chapter 15. There are those that are coming into the church. Check this out. They're infiltrating into the church, and they're teaching this teaching that says, this, okay, faith in Christ, mm, this is good. You need to have faith in Christ. But you need to also adhere to all the Jewish traditions and teachings as well. They're still important, and they're still what you need to adhere to. They were teaching Christ plus. And Paul is, it's no problem for me to reteach this, for me to say this again. And, and it's good for you. Faith in Christ and Christ alone is what, where it's at. It's who you know, not what you do. 
or have done. I promise I did not do that. <laughs> ah, let me get back. Let me see if I can find where I was. Paul knew the weaknesses of legalism. He knew the, the weakness of a legalistic approach to salvation. And he knew the joy of coming to God through faith in Christ. See, if we were to put it into a mathematical equation, I wonder what all would be in his equation. I don't know when he started as a child, his religious training, but I'm assuming it was at an early age. We kind of pick up on this guy named Saul when he's standing there holding the coats of some guys who are doing what? Stoning Stephen. Remember that? I mean, that's kind of where he comes on the scene. He even went after Christians chasing them to, to bring them to justice for this weird teaching that was going on. I mean, all of these things that would have been on Paul's resume. And then he came to know Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. The Lord overtook him. And, and, and then these other things were at. See, he understood what religious activity was. And he also knows what a relationship with Christ is. And he adds all of those things up, and he comes to the conclusion. His bottom line of the mathematical equation is verse 7. Some, and we'll get there in a minute. But some would say that is, that is the theology of Paul boiled down into one statement. So in verse 2, I want to spend a little time looking at these lookouts. These three verbs, very strong verbs. He says, look out for the dogs. This summer I will be taking with, uh, I will be a part of a team that is going to Ethiopia to train pastors, to minister to women and children, to uh, lead worship services in villages, while we are there. And what this team will experience is what I saw last year. Most everywhere we go, we will see people walking, and we will also see dogs. <laughs> dogs are all over the place. In fact, twice on our drive down to the location, Yabello, uh, we saw dogs roadkill, except these particular dogs were hyenas. They're much bigger than I thought they were. But anyway, uh, the kind of dogs that I'm referring to are just common dogs. Mangy, skinny, just, ugh. They want nothing to do with people, and people want nothing to do with them. And Paul, check out the terminology Paul is referring to these people that are infiltrating the church saying it's Christ plus. He said, look out for the dogs. These impure people. Because see, the Jewish people, the, the, the people of Israel, the God's chosen people, looked at Gentiles and called them dogs. And Paul turns, it, turns the coin over and says, it's not us. We're the circumcision. It's them. Keep your eyes peeled. Look out for them. Look out for the evildoers. Look out for the mutilators of flesh. What in the world is he talking about? Hey, listen, Paul's going, 
They're trying to tell you as a Gentile that you need to get in line with the Jewish customs. You need to go and be circumcised. That's what will make you part of God's family. But church, remember, Christ died for our sins. He came and defeated death. He defeated sin. And because of what the blood that he shed on the cross, man, we're the new covenant. Our covenant comes through faith in Christ. And if you go and get circumcised now, all you're doing is mutilating your flesh. You're not sealing the deal in God's family. You seal the deal with God's family by faith in Christ. Listen, it's not a matter of what you do. It's a matter of who you know. Do you know Jesus today? Do you know him? Paul uses these lookouts um, with great emphasis. This was not just a first century issue. Religious rituals and, and traditions and what to wear, it's still alive and active today. I wonder what it looks like in churches today. How does this come to the surface in churches today? There are, do you realize there are churches that I could walk in today wearing what I'm wearing and would be asked to leave because I'm not wearing clothes that are suitable for the presence of God. I'm not, I don't have a tie on. I don't have a jacket on. Do you realize there are churches that would find what, what our expression of worship music here would find this as deplorable. There is supposed to be an organ. There's supposed to be a choir with robes on. That's how it's to be done. See, this isn't just a first century issue. Please don't get me wrong. I believe that our worship of our Lord Jesus Christ should be with all respect. That we should come in this room with great expectations to be with Almighty God. But I have no expectation, and nor will you hear me teach from this pulpit, that there is a way that you must dress in order to be a part of God's family. There is one exception to that. Do not ever wear an Oakland Raider jersey in this room. <laughs> Can I get an amen? It is not about what you do. It's about who you know. And because we know him, we should revere him and honor him and respect. And it should show in our lives. Does that make sense? Paul is, is coming on very strong. He says, we, look at, verse, look at verse 3, for we are the circumcision who worship by the Spirit of God and glory or boast in Christ Jesus and put no confidence in the flesh. It's not about what we do. It's about who we know. Do you know Jesus? you know Jesus today? Are you trusting Jesus through the circumstances or you're going through? Or are you trusting your ability to figure it out and fix it? Catherine and I are at the stage of life where our children are grown and 
they're both married. And uh, our youngest son, Grayson, graduates from college next month. And he is at that crossroads where, what now? <laughs> what am I going to do now? I've had a sweet little gig all the way through college, leading worship at a church and working out at the golf course and going to school. That's about to end. What now? He drove into town this weekend and met with several pastors around town, talking to them about worship leader positions. And, and I'm sure that when he came in town, he was hopeful that one of them would say, we want you now. Sign it up. That didn't happen. They were encouraging. They're glad they had his stuff and his resume, but he drove home. What now? Are you in a place in life where you go, what now? And today, I, I want to remind every one of us, trust the Lord. It's not about your ability to figure out what now. It is who you know and who is in charge and in control. The sovereignty of God in your life. Will you trust him? Trust him. The only really words of comfort that I had for Grayson yesterday, trust the Lord. God is a good father and he takes care of his children. Can I get an amen? Amen. He's, Paul identifies these, this true circumcision group with three qualifiers. He says, well, first of all, we're the people that worship God in the Spirit, by the Spirit. One of the things that I'm thankful for about today uh, in, our, in our worship set and Greg uh, responding, uh, I mean, with no notice, is that today was just raw. There was a purity about today's worship that was just pure. Wasn't as polished as Greg wanted it to be. Wasn't rehearsed as, as much as the entire team wanted it to be. But it was pure. You know, we don't need guitars. You know that? We don't need drums. We don't need speakers that go in and out. We don't need microphones, and we don't need amplifiers, and we don't need cables. What we need is hearts that worship the Lord in spirit and in truth. I cannot wait for our mission team to experience the people in these villages of Ethiopia. who The only electricity that's out there is the generator that so-and-so brings in their truck so we can have a little lighting in our worship set. They don't have that every night. All they have is a little handmade drum. And folks, I'm telling you, it's the sweetest word. I don't understand a word they're saying, but I'll tell you one thing I understand. is the Spirit of God. And it is sweet worship. He says, we're the, man, we're the circumcision. We're the true circumcision. We're the true family of God. 
because we worship in the Spirit. And we boast in Jesus Christ, man, and not in our flesh. See, who we know is important. It really matters. It really matters. Paul says this to the Roman church uh, in chapter 8 of his letter to Rome. Chapter 8, verses 1 through 8. Therefore, there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. For the law of the Spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. For God has done what the law, weakened by the flesh, could not do. By sending his own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh and for sin, he condemned sin in the flesh in order that the righteousness, the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us who walk according, not according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. For those who live according to the flesh set their minds on things of the flesh, but those who live according to the Spirit set their mind on things of the Spirit. For to set the mind on the flesh is death, but to set the mind on the Spirit is life and peace. We've been using the term thrive. For the mind that is set on the flesh is hostile to God, for it does not submit to God's law. Indeed, it cannot. For those who live, who, for those who are in the flesh cannot please God. Paul says we are the true family of God because we worship in the Spirit. We boast in Jesus Christ, not in our flesh. And today, I want you to really examine your own heart. Joel, do I really believe in Christ alone for my salvation? Or are there things still in me that, that, that tell me I've got to behave a certain way in order to be a part of God's family? If so, Paul would strongly speak, and he's, this is what he's addressing. Look out for that teaching. It's who you know. It's who you know. Because there's some that are, that are confident in, in their ability to do good rules. There's also those that are on the other side of the coin. They have no confidence in their ability to do good. And therefore, they think that, that I have no chance to be a part of God's family. It's still self-centered thinking rather than Christ-centered where, where are you at in that? Second thing I want us to see on your outline. There's no peace. There's no peace with God apart from the gospel. Paul says, man, if you want to make a list of accomplishments, I'll compare my list with anybody. I was the best of the best. Hebrew of Hebrews. Man, when it came to the law, I knew it front and back. I was a Pharisee. I, my parents, I mean, I was circumcised on the eighth day. People, I, he, he would put his list, his resume, up against anybody's resume. And look at verse 7. Verse 7. But whatever gain I had from all that stuff, my resume, whatever gain I had, I counted as loss for the sake. As I mentioned earlier, some would, some would say that that's Paul's theology boiled down 
to one thing. It's Christ and Christ alone. If we're going to be in God's family, it is in Christ, faith in Christ, and Christ alone. And it's my prayer that we as a church body be a group of people that live by faith, not by sight. That we live by faith and not our ability to figure out problems, to find out solutions to what we're facing. That we be a people that no matter what we face, we do it in faith in Christ. Paul, as Paul kind of marches through verse 7 and 8, he adds emphasis every time he kind of comes back to this issue of, I counted as loss. Verse 7, he considered what he had as loss. Uh, he goes on and says, man, I, uh, this decision that I made, uh, indeed, this decision I made, I count everything as loss. See, it's like it gains intensity every time. Because of this surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. I have suffered loss for, of all things. And count them, here's, here's more intensity added to it. I count, count it as rubbish. Now, this English translation uses the word rubbish. The, the actual Greek word is kakus. I think you can probably tell where we get the word, it's a slang word, kaka dung i mean he's adding emphasis to all of this stuff whatever pedigree i thought i had it not only is it of no use to me it's harmful it's who i know not what i've done and it's who you know not what you've done so important to be at peace with god it happens through Christ. It happens through him. The third thing on your outline. We thrive when Christ is central in our lives and not what our culture says is important. Our culture is pressing in and pressing in in so many directions to tell you and I what we are to believe, what we are to find acceptable and what's okay and what, not, what is not okay. And friends, as your pastor, I encourage you to stay the course. Read it day and night. When you get up and when you go about, when you lie down and you go to sleep, when you wake up, talk to, to your children about it. That's my best paraphrase of that Deuteronomy passage. Man, we got to live by this so that we don't sin against God. But the world... The world, the culture that we live in would say, we are morons. <laughs> That's not really what God says, as if they're an expert on what God's word says. Stay true to God's word, no matter what you face, no matter what you're going through. Stay in God's word. When we stay in the spirit, when we walk in the Spirit, we won't gratify the desires of our flesh. When we walk in the Spirit, we will have the counsel of God. We will have His leading. We will have His guidance. Verse 9, 10, and 11 um, are considered to be a short course of systematic theology. 
I, I really do feel like today is a theology lesson, and I don't know if any of you have ever taken theology classes. Uh, with all due respect to my theology professors, boring. Anyway, uh, but verses 9, 10, and 11, some would say, hey, man, it's a topical guide to, to theology. Verse 9 addresses the issue of justification. It's a good churchy word. What in the world is that talking about? How are we justified before God? How are we, how are we made right? It's a judicial term. How are, we, we, how are we made right before God? Verse 9. And be found in him, having not a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from, from God that depends on faith. We are justified by faith. Not by what we do. Verse 10. Uh, sanctification. Well, wow, it's a great word, Joel. What does it mean? Uh, becoming more like him. Growing in him. Looking more like him every day. Verse 10. That I may know him, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and may share his suffering, becoming like him in his death, uh, growing in Christ. So, some scholars say that's just a, that's textbook systematic theology on sanctification and verse 11 glorification the day where we are with him in our glorified state how does he say it in verse 11 that by any means possible i may attain the resurrection from the dead and be with him let me ask you a question today church do you know jesus do you know him are you putting your faith your trust in jesus Christian, have you settled back into a routine of trying to impress God with being good? Maybe you're familiar with the passage of Scripture, I believe, in Hebrews. It says, without faith, what? It is impossible to please God. And no matter the circumstances you're facing, I don't care how difficult it is, and I don't care how bleak it may look. I want to encourage you today to be a person of faith, to trust God. He'll see you through. Paul is coming on so strong in this passage to encourage the people to be on the lookout for a teaching that can be detrimental to their souls. Because friends, each one of us in this room must come to a realization, because we've already heard it, that the day's coming when every knee will bow. And every tongue will confess. Every one of us must come to a realization that my pedigree, my accomplishments, what I've done brings nothing to the table for my salvation and being a part of God's family. It is faith in Jesus Christ. Do you know him? Do you know him today? You know, there's some bad news that i got to tell you. The wages of sin is death. Every one of us have a sin problem. And the word that we don't say in church very often is hell. 
And unless our sin problem is taken care of, hell is the destination we're headed. It is. And some people are still convinced that being good is going to take care of the sin problem. Let me tell you the good news. God offers us a free gift through his son, Jesus Christ. See, what we earn with sin is death, but the free gift that God offers is eternal life through Christ Jesus, through what he did on the cross for our sin. Some would look at their sin and say, mine's too much, Joel. I've done too many bad things, and there's no way that he would ever forgive me, as if one drop of Jesus' blood is not sufficient to cover your sin. Can I assure you that there's enough blood to go around? There's enough blood that Jesus shed to wipe every one of them clean. And today, God might be calling you to trust his son Jesus with your life. Stop trusting in your abilities to fix everything. Stop trusting in your ability to be good enough. For God so loved you that he sent his one and only son, that if you'll believe in him, you won't perish, but you'll have everlasting life. Will you trust Jesus today? Let's bow our heads. If you're here today and you, you say, Joel, that's me, man. I, I do want to trust him. I do want to give my life to him. What do I do? Well, let me, let me walk you through this. Yeah, every one of us is, has got to come to a place, and many of the people in the room have done so. Come to a place of recognizing, I have so much sin in my life, and I need help. I need forgiveness. I'm in trouble. And today, you have heard, and maybe you realize, maybe it connect, the dots connect for the first time today, that God loved you so much that he took care. He had a plan. He took care of your sin problem. And all he asks of you is trust in his provision. His provision was his own son, Jesus Christ. He came, he lived, and he died for you. He shed his blood for you. And, and today you say, Jesus, thank you for doing that. Thank you for dying for my sin. Will you forgive me of my sin? And will you come and, and in the best way that I know how, I'm asking you to come and take over my life. I've been trying to live it the way I thought was best, but today I realize that all you ask of me is all of me. And today I give you all of me. Come, Jesus, and be my Lord and be my Savior. I ask this in your name, Jesus Christ. Amen.